Good morning. You can be seated. Woo! I just got to give a high five. That was. <laughs> I can't wait to start working. Really. I love it. This is the Imago. This is the part of service where we talk about how we see God in our everyday life. And it's been a little while since I've uh, done this, it feels like. Uh, last week was awesome. Square dancing. If you didn't come, you missed out. So uh, Trina and I live in a townhome, and part of living in a townhome is that you have an HOA. These are these overlords that tell you <laughs> what you can and cannot do on your own property. So every once in a while we get these uh, emails from the HOA reminding dog owners to pick up after their dogs. And so we have these people that walk around with their dogs on a leash and they carry with them these bags. Maybe you recognize these bags. And when they're, uh, you know, when their dog makes a deposit, they take the bag and they do this cool thing where they put their hand in it and they grab it and then flip it inside out. And then they tie it to their leash and then they walk around with their dog with this tied to their leash. And I was sitting on my porch the other day and I was watching this ritual take place. And two things came to mind. The first was, who owns who? <laughs> the second thing is that when uh, their dog made this gift, the owner reaches down and they see that this mess exists and they recognize its need to be disposed of. So they take it and put it in the bag and carry it with them to dispose of it later. And uh, I can only assume that when they go into their garage that they then throw that into the trash. I don't think that they carry it with them as they go to work. Hey Bill, nice bag. You too, Bob. <laughs> I think they probably get rid of it. Well, I'm a sinner, and there are sins in my life that I probably don't even recognize when I'm sinning, that for whatever reason, I just do them, and I don't even acknowledge them. But there are other areas of my life that I see a mess, and I recognize that it needs to be disposed of. And so I take it, and I put it in a bag, but the problem that I have is that I don't dispose of it. I carry it around with me like I think I'm going to need it later on. There's things in my life where I need to get rid of them, and I carry them around with me. I acknowledge that it's a mess that needs to be disposed of. But I need a savior, someone that's bigger and stronger and more powerful than me get rid of those things in my life. I need Jesus to come intercede on my behalf and take those messes from me and get rid of them for me. And I recognize that there's things that I just can't do on my own. And that is how I saw the need of a Savior in a little green bag this week. Thank you.
God, we thank you for bringing us here today. You've chosen to give us life. You've chosen to give us breath. And what a gift that is. God, I pray in this room, physical room, and in this room, in our hearts and minds and our body, that today you would remind us who you are, how much you love us, all that you've done to chase after us. God, I pray in this room, not only that, you remind us who we are in you. That God, everyone in this room would leave finding our identity in you today. As you look us in the eyes and you tell us that you're proud of us, that you love us, that you've given everything for us, I pray that we can accept that. We can smile knowing how much you've chased after us. God, I pray you continue to move in this place. And church, I encourage us in this room, just take a few minutes of silence and reflection on who God is. Just have a little conversation with him in this place. Maybe you came in seeking Maybe you're mad at God. Maybe you're mad and in love with God. Just have a little conversation. Just call out to Him. Thanks for bringing us here. Thanks, thank you for who you are. We stand in anticipation as to what you're going to do in our gathering this morning. Continue to move in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you for the life you've given us. Thank you for gathering your church in this place. May you give all glory and praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Do I need to answer this I think you're good. Okay. Uh, if you can't hear me, just yell at me. We're okay. We're having a little bit of mic problems, and I apologize for that. Uh, welcome to Church Project. And one of the things I like about the Old Testament when I'm reading the Old Testament is that oftentimes before battles, what was sent out first? It was the trumpets, the tambourines, it was the praise, and it was the worship that was sent out. And so, team, thank you for leading us today in worship. That was beautiful. Yeah. And I think that just sets the stage for what God has today. So you can go ahead and clap. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. So you want me just to hold it right here? Is that, we'll try this, okay? So welcome to Church Project. Uh, we're glad that you're here. If, if you're a first-time guest, um, we say we're a church project for a couple reasons. One, we're a church. We're a gathering of people that love Jesus. And we love the mission of Jesus in this world. And we want to live that out together. We're also a project, we're an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ originally intended church to be. And so this is our gathering, and I say this is our gathering of our house churches that meet throughout the week, and we also meet needs in our community with our ministry partnerships. And so those are the three things that we do, our ministry partnerships, uh, and our Sunday gathering, and our house churches. And so we're glad that you're here today. A couple things I want you to know about, if, if you're a first-time guest, you can go, if you have Uversion Bible app, you can download it for free. You can go on Uversion, search for events, 
and Church Project Greeley will show up on your events. You can download those notes. These are the notes for the message today. And I would say download them because as you go to House Church, you can have a dialogue over those notes. And so those notes are on there. Also, one other thing, you can pull out your phones whenever you want. It's okay. I know you want to check your uh, Instagram or whatever. Go ahead. That's fine. I hope you have your Bible on there as well. You can go to our uh, Church Project Greeley website, scroll to the bottom, and give us your email address, and we'll keep you updated as to everything happening at Church Project. So we are glad that you're here today. Uh, last week looked a little different in this room, didn't it? Like the square dance thing was crazy. And Lily, I, still, I feel sorry for you coming for the first time last week as we had square dance party going on and it was a lot of fun. So all of you that party with us, it was good. But I didn't get any peaches. So if anyone has peaches, just let me know. Like I missed them. I was sad all week, but I missed the peaches. So yeah, we're back to uh, uh, gathering as normal and welcome back to uh, college students and some of you new ones. I know it's Labor Day, so a lot of people are out partying and having a great time. And so we're glad to start out this season with you guys. Um, I'm going to jump right into the message because at Church Project, we do expository teaching. And so what we do is we go verse by verse and we go book by book through the Bible. Right now, we're almost two years into the book of Acts. And we've made it all the way to Acts chapter 16. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. If you were here two weeks ago, this was going to be the second half of my message that we never made it to because God just kind of ripped our hearts apart in the first part of the message. So we're just going to, this is part two of two weeks ago message, but it just falls in line with the book of Acts. So I want to, before I read these verses together, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, has a setting. And every story in the Bible has a setting and it has context. Like, what's being written by whom and to whom is it being written? Like, what's the original message? And context is key. We got to know what's happening. And so I want to tell you their setting uh, for the verses we're about to read. Just a, a little glimpse of it. Here's their setting. Philippi is the city that, the, that they're in right now. The missionaries have gone there. Paul, Paul is on his second missionary journey. And here we go. We're in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony uh, filled with military veterans. These were proud Romans that would be greatly offended by a group of men or women trying to change their customs and their beliefs. Philippi was founded by veterans of previous wars. And this was a very patriotic city. Get it? That's, that's a good context for the verses that we're going into here. Philippi was founded by veterans of previous wars. This is a very patriotic city. It's a Roman colony. That's their setting. The Bible is also written for us today. Here's our setting. Well, except for our, our fabulous worship team from Texas and Fort Collins. You're just going to have to get some Greeley setting, okay? Our setting, Greeley began as uh, the Union Colony, if you want to think about the city of Greeley, which was founded in 1869 as an experimental utopian community. Wow. Uh, based on temperance, religion, agriculture, education, and family values. It was founded by Nathan C. Meeker, and it was later renamed after the editor of the New York 
uh, times Horace Greeley, that's our setting in Greeley, that's where we've come from. Okay, I'll tie it in, don't worry, that wasn't just weird stuff. In order to give the message today, I am going to read the previous verses because I said it's kind of part two. I didn't really get to it a couple weeks ago. And so here's the previous verses just so you kind of know what's happening. Acts chapter 16, I'll start in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, this is the apostles, the missionaries going to the place of prayer in Philippi. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of moolah, money, for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. That's where we paused a couple weeks ago. Go listen to the podcast. It was great. Let's move on. When her owners realized that their hopes of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, These men are Jews, and we are throwing our city, they are, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, you got the story, and I have a couple questions for you. Where do your prejudices and worldview cause you to miss what God is doing? Where do your prejudices and worldview cause you to miss what God is doing? Keep in mind the setting, keep in mind what's happening. Second question, where does what you want to do and what God wants to do collide? That's a hard one for me to answer. Where does what I want to do and what God wants to do in my life and through me collide? This is going to be a fantastic message. I want to start in verse 19. Verse 19, when their owners realized that their hopes to make money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face their, the authorities. Their families, if you look at this, their family's economic engine was gone. How they made money was through this slave girl that could tell fortunes, that was following around everyone telling fortunes. Their family economic engine was gone. They lost the ability to make money off of their slave girl. You want it in our language? Here's our language. They could no longer afford the upgraded iPhone X. <laughs> their life of luxury was gone. This was new to them. And I've learned something in life, probably you have as well, and I do the same thing. People act crazy when it comes to money. Amen? Amen. People act crazy when it comes to money. Just think about it. I got lost when I was doing this message. I got lost in YouTube videos. I was going to show one, but I couldn't. 
but you might get lost in it. Um, to save $20 on the hottest Christmas gift, people will wait hours in line at 3 a.m. for this Black Friday thing and literally trample over and possibly kill anyone that gets in the way to save what? 20 bucks? Go watch the videos. No, don't. You'll just get lost in them. Craziness. Like, people get crazy when it comes to money. And in verse 19, they realize, the owners realize that their hope of making money was gone because this girl had been set free. Let's go to verse 20 and 21. They brought them before the magistrate and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by, you see that by word? By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Does that sound anything? Verse 21, does that sound anything like the real reason of why? Why are they doing this? They lost their economic engine, right? Their girl was set free. They can't make money. They can't afford the iPhone. But they don't say that in verse 20 and 21, do they? I've been in business meetings and phone calls when pride and greed enters into the picture and excuses are made and justification starts happening. And you're in conversations and you know it. You're like, what just happened? Am I seeing pride and am I hearing greed? And are we starting to hear? And I am I even maybe part of justifying my actions in this place? Like I've been part of those conversations with you. Paul and Silas in this passage, they they are taken to what is called the Bama seat. The Bama seat. And the, the Bama seat is the judgment seat, a place of authority. And in this time, they're taken to the Bema seat, the judgment seat, the place of authority where they can bring up these accusations. And I pause and I say, that's their setting. What's our setting? Our setting is, are we under the lordship of Jesus Christ? And daily, are we taken to the Bema seat, his place of authority in our lives? Or do we even think about that? Do we just move about life our own way? Their reason at this Bema seat where they took Paul and Silas, the owner's reasons had nothing to do with the slave girl and the lack of money that we see in verse 19. Their economic engine's gone, but when you get to verse 20 and 21, their reasons had nothing to do with the girl or their lack of money. Their excuse was religious and political. People get crazy when you talk about money. People get crazy when you talk about politics and when you talk about religion as well. Sometimes we can click off our head here and what they do is their real reason. They're not even given this real reason now. The handlers right now are making an appeal to the law and order um, of the anti-Semitic and prejudices of the ethnic traditionalism. That's what one of the commentaries said. That's a lot of words. (laughs) Basically, they're coming in, they're making excuses because their feelings are hurt because they lost their economic engine. And now they're going at it in a very cultural, in a very smart way. As to they're, they're going to oust the people that are coming in. So the owners, I think what was crazy interesting to me is I've studied this for a while now. Two weeks ago to start it, but now now. The owners, did you catch this? The owners were fine with their slave girl, their economic engine, following around the apostles and the disciples until they lost something. 
Did you catch that? Like for days, the girl followed around Paul, declaring all these false lies. The owners were like, that's fine. Do that. No, no big deal. But as soon as Paul calls on the name of Jesus Christ and calls out and they lose their economic engine for their family, as soon as that happens, suddenly there's the enemy. They lost everything. They were fine until they lost everything. As a pastor, I've seen it and I've heard it. A lot of it. And what is it? There's people that are so, so gung-ho to be Christians, all about relationships. Like we'll say, we're all about relationships. We're all about being Christ followers. We're all about making disciples and so on and so on until it costs us something. We're okay following around Paul. We're okay going around doing this. But as soon as it costs us something really deep, until we lose something, that's when the rubber really meets the road. And it could be as simple as going to church, we don't get to watch the football game. We lose free time. Because now we have to come here on Sunday mornings in house churches. We lose our personal space because... I'm an introvert and I don't want to be around people. I'm just giving examples. We could lose family time. We could lose sleeping in. We could lose personal finances. There's so many things that we can lose. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart when we enter these conversations and I make the same excuses as to why we're not investing in relationships with each other and why we're not being the church and why we're not making disciples. And we're all about the, the, the word of it. But until it costs us something, we're okay. The moment it costs us something, we begin to back away and get out of the habit of meeting together and making disciples and being part of relationships. Church, this hurts, doesn't it? The owners were fine until it seriously cost them something. And the thing that breaks my, my heart the most in this passage right here, the saddest part of this whole story is that for her owners, they didn't care that she was free. They only cared about what they lost. That's the saddest part of this whole passage for me. This girl, this slave girl, was in bondage by a de de demonic force. Paul speaks the name Jesus Christ over her. She is set free. And the owners aren't celebrating. They're mourning what they lost. Do we do the same thing in our own lives? I do. Oftentimes. I'm guilty of this. Let's move on to verse 22 and 24. Or 22 through 24. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Now there's a whole crowd of people that are going against the cause here. The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet on the stocks. And when I read verses 22 through 24, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul talks about this. He says, um, this was right here, the first of three beatings that Paul would receive. This right now 
is the first of three beatings that Paul's about to receive in his life. And he's even brought into the inner cells, locked up. This is maximum security after getting beat, after his feet are put in shackles, as he's in there, he's in maximum security. Following Christ cost Paul something, didn't it? Following Christ, if we want to be honest with ourselves, following Christ will cost us something as well. It may be as insignificant as a football game or free time or some of those stupid things that I talked about, but it may be more than that as well. And following Christ isn't always about the good stuff that's going to happen. Sometimes we're going to find ourselves in jail and we're going to say, I don't deserve to be in jail. I don't know why I'm in jail. God, what are you going to do for me in this situation? I imagine Paul, as he doesn't know the story of his life yet. He doesn't know what tomorrow's going to bring. All he knows is he just got his tail whipped and beat severely for doing what God called him to do. And now he's finding himself in maximum security, locked up with no hope of the future. He doesn't know that he's going to be set free in this awesome way that Jeremy's going to tell us about next week. That was a hint. Jeremy's preaching next week. It's going to be great. He doesn't know that part yet. All he knows is he's on a jail cell, beaten, bleeding, tied up. He doesn't know what his future looks like, but he has a hope in Jesus Christ. He's willing to pay the cost to follow Christ. That's their setting. What's our setting? What's your setting? As you wake up tomorrow, as tonight you wake up tied and shackled in the jail and in prison, are you still willing to trust in the name of Jesus Christ? It's easy in this place with incredible worship to lift our hands and say, God, use me, kill me, destroy me, lift me up, do whatever you want to do. It's about you. It's easy when we're together. But when we're alone, that's your setting. How? Will you let Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life in your setting? Humans, we will do what we want to do. I'm really good at that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And sometimes what seems important for us to do, or better yet, what serves my best interests, is what I'll naturally go for. I love comfort. I'll do it all the time. And then along comes Jesus with this super freeing message. And his message is this. Love me and love others. The gospel message. Love me and love others. How simple is that, church? If we can wake up, and that can be our calling every day, love Jesus and love others, we're going to slowly watch our desire to always be comfortable and serve ourselves fade away. Because God is going to make us more like Him every day. Here's a good question. For us. How far are you willing to push to do what you want to do? How much do you justify your actions and thoughts when deep down you know this is not God's best for your life? You're justifying your actions, you know that this is not God's best for your life. The Lordship of Jesus over our lives is imperative. It's super important to sit under the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives to, so that God's future can be what he wants it to be. It can be fully realized in our life as we sit under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't want to miss a single moment of God's future in my life. Do you? I know the future I can create for me, and it doesn't look very hopeful. 
But as I sit under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I don't want to miss a single second of what the King, the Liberator, that's already set me free, has for me in the future. I want to run after that. Church, do you want to run after that? Do you want to run after the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you want to kill the excuses that, that we put in place that God's actually using to sanctify us, to grow us more like Him every day? Let's kill the excuses. Let's love Jesus and love others. His Lordship is really easy in our life when it's about Him and not about us. That's good. I pray God sanctify me, which is a super fancy word for make me more like you. Make me more like you. Be the Lord of my life. Because I'm super old, I try to be super techie in things, and so I've downloaded Marco Polo. Everyone should have Marco Polo. It's like the old person Snapchat. Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. We at Church Project are a network of churches. We have four in America. We had six, but two of them had to close their doors. We have some internationally. Um, one of our large ones is in Houston, Texas, um, Woodlands, Texas. And I don't know, they have like 3,000 people, beautiful people. You guys should all go visit it. Um, but our, our director of the networks, just stepped down, and so he's not directing our network anymore. Now it's a bunch of us, me, pastors, that are kind of speaking into it and trying to lead our network. And, and I sent a uh, Marco Polo to all of our pastors, and one of them is about to launch in California in like a month, and he's stressed out. They've got 50 people, and it's, it's great. I'm a great guy. But I sent a, a message, and I said, hey, Network Greeley needs Jesus, and I imagine your place needs Jesus too. So let's keep encouraging each other because the gospel message is worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. And Greeley and everywhere we go, it's worth it. I gave you the context of Greeley, but I also want to tell you where we, where, um, we came from. Uh, I will mispronounce his name, Saeed Khatan. I mispronounced it, but that's it. He was an intellectual father of Osama bin Laden and the terrorist network. He came and studied at Colorado State College of Education in Greeley, Colorado at 19, in 1948. College has now changed its name to UNC. You guys know that. So the intellectual father of Osama bin Laden's terrorist network was in Greeley in 1948 and 1949 studying. He went to a church dance. He went to many dances. From church events, not dances. And he writes, arms circled, waist, lips met lips, chest met chest. And the atmosphere was full of passion. And he couldn't come to grips as to why the church would say one thing and the church was living another way in Greeley, Colorado. And as he was studying and an intellectual father of this terrorist network, which wasn't happening yet, he moved away with a bad taste of Greeley, Colorado, and especially Christians in his mouth. And began to continue to write books on Islam and what it may be. And it just progressed to the point where he was the father, spiritual father of Osama bin Laden, which we can say we know is 9-11. Greeley, Colorado is significant. Your context is super significant. We don't know what God is doing in our lives. 
We don't know what context is around us. We don't know what people are around us. We just know we need to love God and we need to love others with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I ask this question, where do your prejudices and worldview cause you to miss what God is doing? I will not say the church of 1948 missed it, but maybe they missed their chance to speak life and love into an individual that was going to end up being a spiritual father that ends up being a 9-11 attack on, on, on America. Church, we got to wake up. This isn't a game. We got to be super serious. We got to let our prejudices down. We got to love God. We got to love others. And more importantly, what does God want you to do and what does God want your life to do cannot collide with what you want to do. We've got to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. The world is too fast. I did two funerals last week and I hate them because our life is passing and we've got to live it on purpose and on mission under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a good, strong message that hopefully is pricking your heart and your mind. Because if we can get it, we can see how much God loves us. How much he loves the world. And how much he wants his church on mission and on purpose under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I um, am going to call up Ryan. Things are continually changing at Church Project. And that's why we're a project. We don't